0: Thank you. Recently, I went to Dr. Huff to have my eyes examined. Many of you have done that. And uh, as I went in, they took me in a little room that was somewhat dark. They put me up against a machine where you look through the viewfinder and said to me, now, focus on the dot that is in the center there will be flashes of light in your peripheral vision don't look at that don't get distracted by that but focus on the dot today we continue our study in the book of acts and i want us to look at the church in focus if there were anyone who was focused in life it had to be the apostle paul Now, before Paul became a follower of Christ, he was absolutely focused. He was going to destroy the church because he saw the church as being an enemy to God. And so he would round up the believers. He would put them in jail. He was involved in their persecution because he was focused on the annihilation of the church. After he became a follower of Christ, he remained focused. Because he now was focused on Christ and following him. And he said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. He was lasered in. He was focused. He said, there is one thing that I do. I'm going to forget everything that is behind me, all of my failures, all of my successes, all of my mistakes. I'm going to put all of those things behind me and I am focused in on this one thing. Paul went on to say, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So when we talk about focus, there is no better example as far as I'm concerned than the Apostle Paul. His life was a focused life. Now let me ask you a question. What is the focus of your life? What is that one thing in your life? Is there something to which you have totally committed yourself? That this is the essence of my life? I am focused at this point. My one thing. Take your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 20, beginning in verse number 17. And from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound in spirit, I am on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. There are several areas in which we can focus our life and I want to suggest some of them to you today and perhaps you'll find yourself in one of the categories. For instance, we can focus on ourselves, on I. The apostle Paul obviously did not do that because in verse 24 he said, I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself. Paul's focus was not on himself, but there are many whose focus is we see this oftentimes in athletics when a player sees himself or herself as more important than the team they're not really that concerned about wins and losses they are concerned about personal performance they they are not so much concerned about how the team does as they are concerned as to how they do. The focus is on themselves. They see themselves as being the center of the universe. Do you know that can even happen in the church? There are those people sometimes who see their opinion as being the opinion more important than the good of the church. There are those people in the church sometimes who will only participate if we do it my way because they see themselves as being the center of the universe. Their focus is on themselves. I've seen it in families many times. There have been numerous times when I've talked with someone and they would rationalize or try to explain their behavior by saying, well, I have a right to be happy. Now, folks, the fact is that is a very selfish statement generally. I have a right to be happy because the way that it ends up is that I have a right to be happy without any regard whatsoever to the misery that I might be bringing on the rest of the family. See, I I see people sometimes who do things. They get caught up in things. They're a member of a family, but they justify it by saying, but I have a right to be happy. When other family members are devastated and destroyed as a result of it, focused on self. You know what the Bible says about being focused on self? Jesus suggested that when I focus on myself, when I become the center of the world, that that is the focus of a fool. You are familiar with the story in the New Testament that Jesus told about a farmer. He had bumper crops, a very successful year as far as his planting and harvesting was concerned. But he was also very self-centered. And Jesus speaks in Luke chapter 12 verses 17 through 19. And I want you to notice the personal pronouns in this. And he, the farmer began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no place to store my crops? And he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry." Now, do you see with the farmer where his focus was? It is obvious that he had focused on himself. He said, it is my crops, it is my grain, it is my barns. He saw it as my retirement. I have much laid up for years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry because I have planned well. And the Bible says, but God said to him, you fool. I look at the farmer, the problem that he had is that he planned for retirement, but he didn't plan for eternity. There are many people who see themselves as the center and when you begin to focus on yourself, and you see yourself in that fashion, the Bible says then you are a fool. I will give you another example, and that is the story in the Bible about the prodigal. Now, the prodigal came to the point where he demanded his inheritance. He went to his father and says, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. You know what's strange about that? He was wanting the will to be probated, and his father was still alive. I don't think I would have responded favorably to to that had that been one of my kids. In other words, what he is saying is, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want the inheritance. Because he had deceived himself into believing that when I get this inheritance, then life is going to be good for me. When I get the portion that belongs to me, then everything is going to be good for me. And he was severely disappointed. The Bible says, and when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country, and he began to be in need. You see, when I look at the prodigal, I see a boy, a young man who was very foolish. Everything centered around him. He was the focus of. Everything centered around him. He wanted his inheritance. He wanted to live the way that he wanted to live without any regard to anyone else. And he ended up in a pig pen as a result of it because he was a foolish young man. Another example, dives You are familiar with the story of Lazarus and the rich man. And I've read that story many times whenever I read about the rich man. I, I see that he was focused on himself. I think that he was a selfish person. The Bible says that he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen. He dressed in the finest clothes. The Bible says that he ate the finest foods. He dined in the best restaurants. But you know the thing that caught my attention as I read the story of this man? There is nothing to suggest that he was a bad person. He was not involved in corruption. He had not gotten his wealth by some some illegal means. There's not anything to suggest that he was a bad man. He was just a neglectful person. Because he was focused on himself, he neglected that that was really important, and the Bible says that he died and went to hell. When I is the focus of your life, ladies and gentlemen, it is always disappointing. I read a statement by that great theologian, John Madden, yesterday. He said, self-praise is for losers. Always have class and be humble. Where's your focus? Is it on I? On self? The Bible says that's the focus of a fool. Well, what about nostalgia? Maybe you're focused on yesterday, the past, the way things used to be. The word nostalgia comes from two Greek words. The first word means to return home. The second word, algia, refers to a pain. The word was first used to refer to Greek mercenary, so, or Swiss mercenary soldiers who were in other countries fighting battles and they began to long to be home. Uh, we can focus our lives on yesterday, and I know a lot of people who do that. Whenever you talk to them, you're going to talk about the past because that's what they talk about. They're focused in the past. It carries two potential problems. If your focus is on yesterday, two potential problems. First of all, it blinds you to the problems of the past. You don't remember the problems of the past. I, I've told you before that, you know, I grew up in a small oil town in Texas, and Linda and I grew up in that same little town. Population about five or six thousand. Um very few trees. The trees that we had were mesquites, oil, cattle, things of that nature. But I loved it. Took Eric back there one time, and I'm driving him around, showing him where I grew up and the things that we did and all of that stuff. And finally he said, Daddy, he said, I know you love this, but this is the ugliest place I've ever seen. <laughs> well, yeah, you know, I didn't see it that way. For me, it was an idyllic time in my life. I mean, whenever I think of home, I have warm, fuzzy feelings. I mean, I, I remember the way that I grew up. And as a result of that, when you focus on the past, you tend to forget the, the problems and remember it as better than it might have been. Charles Kuralt, CBS TV commentator used, uh, used to be, wrote, there are three kinds of memories, good, bad. And convenient. You know, the truth is when we begin to reflect on the past, many of our memories are convenient, aren't they? I I have talked with people who maybe a guy and his wife died, and then the time goes by and he marries someone else, and and all of a sudden that first wife who died was perfect. I had a woman to tell me one time said, I can't compete with a dead woman. Well, whenever someone dies, all of a sudden we forget all about the things that used to irritate us about that person and we remember them maybe as better than they were. We do that in the church. We, be, we, we have church nostalgia. We, we be, You remember the glory days? Remember what we used to do? Oh, those, those were the glory days. Those were, we do it in sports. You know, those teams... 30, 40 years ago. Man, the players were tougher and the coaches were smarter. I mean, those were good players back then. We got these pansies out there now, but those were really good players back then. Those were the happy days. Will Rogers said, things ain't what they used to be and probably never was. See, when we remember the past, when that is our focus, we remember the past as being better than it was. We remember the past oftentimes as being more godly than it was. Was it? I mean, I look around today and I think, you know, this is really a godless time. And I'm sure that I'd get a hearty amen there. Is it worse than other times? I don't know. When I get to thinking about how bad things are, and I do that, I get to thinking about, you know, the whole world is going to hell in a handbasket. And when I do, I normally will go back to the Old Testament and read. And uh, I read during Noah's time, and man hadn't been on earth a long time at that time. And the Bible says in Genesis 6-5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that's the reason that he sent the flood. That was back during the times of Noah. I read back... At the time of Abraham and God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah because of the sin at that time, I look at America, is, it, is, is this the worst time morally? Is this the worst time in the history of our country? I think it is, you know, for me, I think that it is probably the least godly time in my lifetime. But I'm not sure that it is the least godly in our history you are aware, I would imagine, that there was a time in this country when Baptists were persecuted for being Baptists. That's true of some other denominations as well, but in the early days of our country's history. The point that I'm making is that when nostalgia becomes our focus, when yesterday becomes our focus, it blinds us to the problems, to the reality of yesterday, but even worse, it blinds us to the possibilities of the present. When we focus on yesterday to an unhealthy degree, then we lose the possibilities that are ours. The Hebrews were in Egyptian bondage and they began to pray asking God to deliver them. And the Lord heard their prayer and sent Moses and did deliver them and promised them that he was going to take them to a land of promise, a land that was flowing with milk and honey. So we see the Hebrews at this time they are in the wilderness on the way to the promised land, and they begin to talk and say, oh, you remember when we were back in Egypt, boy, the flesh pots, didn't we have a good time? We'd get around the flesh pots and eat, and I mean, boy, that was, I wish we had some of that meat, now I'm sick of this manna. You know, we got manna with everything. They got manna upside down cake, they got manna stew, they got manna helper, we, we got manna. you remember the flesh pots when we were back in Egypt, we'd sit around there and That was so good and the leeks and the onions and the cucumbers and all those things. But the point is is that they began to think about the way it was in slavery and they forgot about the promised land. They forgot that God had promised them a land with milk and honey and so they wanted to return to bondage. You know, we do that in the church, don't we? We become nostalgic for the past and miss the opportunities of today. Folks, the fact is in, in so many churches today, we want it to be like it was 50 years ago, 60 years ago. Let me tell you a secret. It's never gonna be like it was 50 years ago, ago again. And if you find a church where it's like it was 50 years ago, it's dying. God didn't put us here for 50 years ago. He put you here for today. The reason you're here is for today. It's not for 50 years ago. God put you here for today. To claim the possibilities that he has before us, they are unique, but he put us here for them. Is your focus nostalgia? You're stuck in yesterday? Because if you are, it'll blind to the problems of the past. You'll remember it as better than it was. And you will be blinded to the possibilities of today. Another possibility, success. Maybe, Maybe your focus is on success. Well, what is that? Well, for some it's winning. The object of life is winning. Vince Lombardi said, winning isn't everything. It is the only thing. Okay, so what does it mean to win? Maybe that's where you are. What does it mean to win? It means to be the best. Now, the good thing about that, to be the best is that it challenges me to be more than I am. The bad thing is, is only one can be the best. In other words, if I'm the best, you're not. Only one of us can be the best. So for some people, success means to win, but only one can win. For some people, they would define it as wealth. And so gold is their God, and the bank is their place of worship, and there are some things that money can do. No, you know, I'm, I'm, I think that money is ah spiritual. It's neither spiritual nor unspiritual, which is how you use it. There are some things that money can do. It can, I had a friend who used to say, well, you know, I've had it and I've not had it. And I prefer to have it. So there's not anything wrong with having it. There's some things that it can do. You can buy things. If you have enough money, you can buy some things. If you have enough money, you can help other people. And there are some people who are very generous with their money. If you have enough money it can improve your looks I mean look at Joan Rivers she looks a whole lot better because of money If she didn't have any money she wouldn't look nearly that good so it can improve your looks but there are some things that money can't buy can't buy happiness John D. Rockefeller said the most miserable man in the world is the man who has nothing but money and because it can't buy happiness you know isn't it interesting that that, that it's always moved now My guess is almost everybody here, who's more than forty years old, has more money than you thought you were going to have whenever you were younger, right? But but we keep raising the bar. You know, I remember when I was growing up. Do you know how you knew that you were successful as far as money was concerned? You made your age. If you're thirty years old, if you made thirty thousand dollars a year, then you were you were there. You made your age. Or today we'd have to live 200 wouldn't we but it keeps moving the bar. so I, I, I get here that's not enough so you have to have some more and then you get there and you have to have some more because you you, you never get there can't buy happiness can buy a house but it can't buy a home I have a had a friend he, he died last week he was a, an oil man uh, made a lot of money and lived in a he lived in a mansion. He had a, a luxury cars and lots of jewelry and all of those things. And, and uh, I used to go by his house. I ended up leading him to the Lord, but I used to go by his house before then. And he had this mansion, this beautiful house with all the trappings and so forth. And, and I was always sad when I went by because I knew what went on inside. Folks, money can buy a house, but it can't buy a home. Money can't buy heaven. Only Jesus can do that. So is success the focus of your life? Well, if you're going to have life that is worthwhile, then Christ must be the focus of life. And when we have Jesus as the focus of life, then we are committed to serve. Look at verse number 19. That was Paul. Serving the Lord with all humility, and with tears, with trials which came upon me. You see, if Jesus, now listen, if Jesus is the focus of your life, you're involved in service. We are saved by grace, but we are saved to serve. So if Jesus is the focus of your life, then you are involved in service. Paul served, and to serve requires humility. He says, he refers to his humility. He had reason to be prideful, but he was humble. One of the things that blesses me when I look out over our congregation is that there are many people in our congregation who are very prominent within our community, and yet you would never know them because they serve. Humility. See, folks, that, 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 is, a, that is a characteristic of someone who, who has Jesus as the focus of their life. They serve. In order to serve, that requires humility. And then he says, and, and tears. Humility and tears. That's what he says in the verse, humility and tears. Can you serve without tears? Sometimes they are tears of love. You just overwhelm with love as you serve, and, and they're tears. Sometimes they're tears of sorrow. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2 For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Sometimes the tears of joy. When you serve, the tears of joy. You know, God has been so good to me. And he has blessed me beyond anything I would have ever imagine or ever ask. And the truth is, sometimes I look at my kids, my daughter, my son, who is a pastor, my grandkids, and I can't keep the tears away because they're tears of joy and tears of love. Paul says if Jesus is your focus, if he is the focus of your life, you serve. You serve with humility and with tears. If Jesus is the focus, you're committed to the truth. In verse number 20, he says, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul said, I I was truthful with you. He said, "I, I talked to you about the importance, the necessity of repentance and faith. He said, I was truthful with you. Folks, it's hard today to be truthful. Because if you're truthful, then you are immediately attacked by those who are politically correct. And so we're all becoming liars as a result of it. We need to be truthful. Parents, you need to be truthful with your kids. You really need to tell them the truth about what is right, what is wrong, what is good, what is bad, what will hurt, what will help. About their what with God. But see, we are so scared as parents sometimes that our children are not gonna like us that we are not really truthful with them. Your kids do not want you to be their friend. They want you to be their parent. As parents, we need to be truthful. As the church, we need to be truthful. And I know that we are attacked today when we preach the Word of God. When we say what the Word of God says, then the church is attacked. But we need to be truthful. And if we are focused on Christ, then we are committed to truth. If we're focused on Christ, we're committed to the church. In verse number 18b, he says, I was with you the whole time. Paul was committed to the church. Jesus was committed to the church. The Bible says that he even died for the church. Lyndon and I have talked so many times about how much you mean to us. I can't imagine life. I really don't. I can't imagine life without a church family. You have meant so much to us and you mean so much to us. And my friend, I would say to you, don't go through life, I don't care what your age is, don't go through life without a relationship, a genuine relationship to the body of Christ. If we're committed to Jesus, if he is the focus, Then we're committed to the church and we're committed to love. Look at verse 36. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them. And they began to weep aloud and embrace Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken that they would see his face no more. And they were accompanying him to the ship. You see, Paul was committed to love. Barclay said the church of Ephesus was dear to the heart of Paul because the air and atmosphere with the air and atmosphere of love. If you're committed, if Jesus is the focus of your life, you're committed to love. What did Jesus say? They will know you are my disciples because you never miss Sunday school. They will know you are my disciples because you're always on time for choir. What did he say? They will know you are my disciples' wife. Now, you're mumbling. What did he say? Because you love one another. Folks, the world knows that we are followers of Jesus Christ because of our love. Because we love each other. So, yeah, what's the focus of your life? Really, what is the focus of your life? If it is I, and then you're going to neglect others. If it is nostalgia... You're going to miss the opportunities that God has for you. If it is success, it will never satisfy you. If it is Christ, He will. You know why we are so blessed when Margaret Garrett, a member of our church, a hundred years old, sings, "The longer I serve Him, the sweeter he grows, because she's lived it." For a hundred years. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. What is your focus? Would you be honest and ask yourself, what is the focus of your life? What is that one thing, that one thing to which you're committed? Our Father and God, we come to this time of invitation and ask, Lord, for the anointing and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that as we examine our lives, that we might be really and truly aware of what our focus is, what our commitment is. And Lord, if it isn't Jesus, I pray that it might be. In his name I ask. Amen. In just a moment, we will stand and sing a hymn of invitation. As we do so, if you're here without Christ, I pray today that you will commit your life to Jesus. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'll have staff members here to receive you. Stand with me, please. The choir sings, you come. I'll greet you, should do.